This is another edition of the 12 Round News Podcast. Hello again, everybody. My name is Rick Evans, your host. And, well, you know, it has been a little while. It has been a minute, as the kids say. It has been a minute since I've had the opportunity to grace the airwaves or the earwaves or however that goes for a, a podcast from the wonderful world of boxing. Um, I think the last podcast... I was able to produce and put out there was in the spring. Um, it was a great interview, a wonderful interview with former world champion Steve Forbes before he uh, returned to the ring over in Oregon. Uh, a very successful return to the ring for the former champ, um, defeating DeForest Cloud by decision. So uh, that was a fight that if you follow us on social media, uh, you saw a pretty extensive coverage of the fights there. So that was a uh, a fun, uh, a very good, fun experience of going over and covering those fights. Um so moving forward now, we are back on the air, and I, the reason I, I'm prompted and wanting to, to do a podcast now, I mean, uh, anybody who's listened to this podcast for some length of time knows that I do have other things that I do, and this is very much a passion project and, and something that I just enjoy doing because I'm a longtime uh, fan of the sport. Um and have been uh, credentialed for world title fights and have done extensive writing on the on the sport in the past. And, and it seems like the wave of the future really is through not only online writing and columns and, and um, thought pieces, but also through podcasts. So it seems like everybody, no matter what sport you follow, if you're in politics, anything else, there, there's a podcast for you out there. So my hope with this is to have a little fun. Um... And really bring just another another look, another angle, another set of eyes and set of ears to the conversations and the topics surrounding uh, this wonderful sport that if you're listening to this, you are definitely a fan of and a supporter of. So um, really what's coming up, so in, in the last, since I spoke to all of you last, there have been a, uh, a lot of major upsets, Anthony Joshua gets beat. Um, Tyson Fury almost gets beat. Um, Gennady Golovkin almost gets beat. So there's been a, a couple of just pretty outstanding turn of event type of fights where you go, how did that happen? You, st- stuff you didn't see coming. It's um, the theater of the unexpected. Credit to Larry Merchant on that one. Um, it's been a really, it, it's been a heck of a six months and um, it's now's a as good a time as any to for me to get back going here. So, the big fight coming up around the corner is Canelo Alvarez moving up to light heavyweight to challenge Sergei, Sergei Kovalev for his portion of the light heavyweight championship of the world. Um, that this is a fight that certainly I think caught a lot of folks off. You know, a bit unexpected. I mean, that's a. For for Canelo, I think a lot of folks were thinking Canelo's next fight uh, would be against uh, Triple G uh, for their trilogy matchup, and that's that's not something that happened. Um, we're going in another direction here with Kovalev, so I'm going to get to that fight. I really the the reason I'm doing this this podcast right now and. Um, is that fight is to give you a bit of a, a preview and to talk about how each guy can win and. Um, kind of the situation surrounding that fight and what it means for legacies for both fighters. But I want to start somewhere else. 
So I want to start with talking about a trip to my local Barnes and Noble bookstore. So a couple of days ago, I went into the bookstore, Barnes and Noble, and and uh, went over to the magazine section and found a the latest edition of Ring Magazine. And with Ring Magazine is a is a cover. Um, done by a wonderful artist, Richard Sloan, who I met um, at the uh, Kovalev Ward, the first fight back in 2016. I met him. Uh, he was signing uh, posters of his artwork for that, for the Kovalev Ward fight. So I had a chance to talk to him for a couple of minutes. Nice guy, really uh, a good guy taking time out to, to meet fans. And um, if you've seen any fantastic artwork of big fights, odds are you've seen a Richard Sloan painting for any of the most recent fights in the last 10 to 15 years or so. Um, I, I I think it would be fair to say he's kind of the heir apparent to Leroy Neiman, who did a lot of those program posters in the 80s and 90s that longtime fight aficionados would look at and a lot of folks cherish and, and originals go for, for Leroy Neiman, who, you know, Leroy Neiman's also the guy you see in a lot of the Rocky movies. Um, getting slightly off topic there, but uh, Richard Sloan's artwork is right up there, and it is on a good amount of uh, programs and posters. And, you know, the two fights, world title fights that I've been able to cover in uh, in Las Vegas were Kovalev Ward 1 and uh, Canelo and Golovkin for the first fight, and I I made it a point after meeting Richard Sloan um, in Vegas. I made it a point that I I needed to be able to get the the uh, Canelo Golovkin cover as well. So I have those in my home office uh, with with uh, some of the credentials and some of the things that go with covering those fights. So Richard Sloan's artwork is I'm look so I'm at the bookstore. Got off topic there. My apologies. So looking at the bookstore. I go in and I see uh, a Richard Sloan artwork for Ring Magazine, and I thought, well, this will be neat. What do we got here? I get a little closer, and I see Manny Pacquiao, and I go, okay. And then fighting Prince Nassim Hamed, and I thought, huh, well, we're going to look at fantasy fights. So those of you who listened to the last podcast, uh, when I interviewed Steve Forbes and uh, some other uh, previous editions of the podcast know that one of my favorite things to talk about and debate and have fun with and one of the central tenets to this 12-round news platform will be fantasy fights. So uh, Ring Magazine has kind of gone that route and they are looking at uh, Manny Pacquiao against Prince Nassim. And so longtime fans of the sport know who Prince Nassim Hamed was as a fighter. Um, and then I'm sure everybody listen, everybody listening to this podcast knows who Manny Pacquiao is. So I was eager to look at how Ring Magazine was going to put that together and see what they were examining because... And I want to take a couple of minutes to go into this now. This is the first part of this podcast where I'm going to go just... We're going to get into Pacquiao versus Hamed. The, the, uh, only because it's on the, everyone's newsstands now. So if you haven't had a chance to get out to a newsstand, if you haven't been on getting a magazine lately, go check this one out. Manny Pacquiao against Naz, the Naz Mataz, Prince Nassim Hamed. Um, and if you haven't seen Prince Nassim, we're going down this route. Okay. So, Prince Nassim Hamed, Sheffield's own, um, really had a 10-year career, retired around age 28, was before the Prince, so he retired in 2002, 
um, before Prince Nassim, anybody in the featherweight division and lower, you would have had a tough time, unless you were a true fight aficionado, had a tough time getting money into these fights, bringing people in, and having having a featherweight title fight be your headlining fight, bringing tons of eyeballs to TV screens, and making it an event. There's been wonderful, fantastic featherweight world champions in the past, not taking anything away from anybody pre-Prince Nassim. But in terms of bringing eyeballs to the, to the screens and butts in the seats, Prince Nassim Hamed was the first guy to be in that position out of the featherweight division and made it a money division. So throughout his career, he and he was one of the first guys to bring a sh- the showmanship and a lot of what you see now and some things you see from you know professional wrestling. A lot of that Prince Nassim brought to boxing, and other guys have done it too. But if any anybody who if you're hearing this and you're not sure who Prince Nassim Hamed is, before you watch any of his fights, Google or put into YouTube Prince Nassim Hamed entrance. Just watch his entrances for for thirty minutes. You're going to see some stuff. If you haven't seen it yet, you're going to see some stuff and go, wow, this was the 90s? This was the, you know, from maybe, say, 1995 until 2002? You know, every every fight was an event for Prince Nassim, in part because of the entrance. This man came down in a flying trapeze. This guy came down in a flying carpet. Wild stuff. Entertainment values through the roof. And... And you either loved Prince Nassim or you were paying money and you were tuning into HBO or if you're overseas in Great Britain, hot shout out to my fans in Great Britain, or you're over there watching on Sky Sports, you either want to see Prince Nassim do well or you want to see Prince Nassim get crushed. It was was one way or another. Why am I talking so much about Prince Nassim first? Because A, everybody knows who Manny Pacquiao is. And B, it has been a minute since... Uh, Naz has been in the ring. So I see this magazine out here on the newsstands and of course had to pick up a copy. From that, I um, texted out to a couple of my buddies who are longtime fans of the sport, a former amateur boxer, my, my buddy Joe Colunga out in Washington State, now down in Texas, and my buddy Ian Brower, who has been a friend of mine since I, as far back as I could possibly remember. Um, all of us constantly are talking boxing. So everybody who's listening to this also has those friends in their lives too. So from that, so I text them out and I say, what do y'all think of this matchup? And the the consensus just with me and my friends talking was, well, Prince Nassim Hamed got an opportunity to go up against um, Marco Antonio Barrera in this big, you know, the ultimate test for the prince and was shellacked. That's the, and a lot of folks who maybe didn't follow Prince Nassim, um, follow his work, um, will identify that fight because it was his first pay-per-view fight in the States, and it was a fight where you looked at it and said, well, if he can beat Marco Antonio Barrera, he really is for real. And he was shellacked. And the judges had that about 8-4, 9-3 in terms of rounds. So shellacked. Prince had one more fight after Barrera and went away and, and retired. You know, an unofficial retirement. He never fought again. The last fight was Manuel Calvo. Uh, in uh, May 18th of 2002, where he won a unanimous decision, but that was his last fight. 
Um, so a lot of folks may have that Barrera loss on their mind and talking with my buddies there. We, we kind of were circling that around with Barrera and went back to it. And I said, well, no, I, I'm not going to judge Prince Nassim on Marco Antonio Barrera alone because I, I think that's taking the guy's worst night as a professional and saying that's the basis of his career. You know, going through some of the other people he's beat, Vujani Bungu, Cesar Soto, uh, Paul Engel, Wayne McCullough, Wilfredo Vasquez, Kevin Kelly, uh, Tom Boom Boom Johnson, who was a who was a world champion there. There's some names on the on the Prince's resume that justified Prince being inducted into the Hall of Fame, which happened a few years ago. So I'm not going to just say, well, the Hamed that lost to Barrera, we find out later that uh, Hamed had trouble making weight, had a lot of problems going into the Barrera fight, so I'm not going to judge the Prince just on that. So if we're going to look at you know, Ring Magazine, I'm not going to spoil what Ring Magazine says. I think if you really want to hear what their opinion is on the fight... Um, you can certainly go out and buy the buy the magazine. It's a really good write up. Uh, they go a little step further and talk about some of the Prince's fights. With he he's on there as a guest editor, so they take some of his biggest wins and and kind of dissect how those fights went, along with some additional hypothetical fights on how does the Prince think he would have done against Arturo Gotti, how would he have fared against Floyd Mayweather at at maybe one thirty, where both guys could have realistically campaigned somewhere in the late in the early two thousands. Um, and a couple other hypotheticals. So there was there's good stuff in there for Prince Nassim fans and for Manny Pacquiao fans. I've, I've gone here a little fast and a little uh, long on the Prince. But with Manny Pacquiao, it makes for an interesting matchup. And this is kind of where we ended things with my with my buddies and I talking about the fight. Was It's tough to... It, a, it's tough to put the Prince's stuff outside of Barrera front of mind. It's also tough to put Manny Pacquiao's stuff at weights higher than featherweight above mine because, quite frankly, Manny Pacquiao spent virtually no time at featherweight. Uh, thanks to our friends at BoxRec, I am looking at his um, his resume, his ring record right now. And, you know, 2001 is when he uh, came over to the United States. This is Pacquiao. Fought Leola Ladwaba. Um, it was This was uh, June 23rd, 2001, and this is when he kind of had his... A uh, big splash of getting onto TV in the States. He was on HBO, I believe, on a De La Hoya undercard on that night. And um, um, really started... But that was that was for the Super Bantamweight Championship, um, that which is a step below um, um, the featherweight division. He stayed at Super Bantamweight, just running through box rec here, until... 2003, when he in November of 2003, he moved up and fought the aforementioned Marco Antonio Barrera and stopped Barrera in the 11th round uh, to win uh, basically the lineal championship. And I'm sure folks can talk about who's the champion at different points in time with all the alphabet suits out there. But nevertheless, that that was his his time at featherweight. His next fight was Pacquiao's next fight was Juan Manuel Marquez, uh, which was a draw. He then fought a nondescript opponent over in, um, it looks like in the Philippines. Then fought Eric Morales the first time and was defeated. That, and that was for the Super super Featherweight Championship, which is 130 pounds. He comes back from that and beats Hector Velasquez by TKO. Super Featherweight comes back, stops Eric Morales in the rematch in 2006, 130 pounds. Oscar Larios wins a decision, hot, uh, 130 pounds. 
The trilogy fight with Eric Morales was 130 pounds. Basically, so we're staying at 130. He beats uh, Marco Antonio Barrera again in 2007 at 130 pounds. And then we have Juan Manuel Marquez again in 2008, again at 130 pounds. David Diaz, he had gone up to 135 in 2008. And then we get to Oscar De La Hoya, and we're off to the races, weight class-wise, and the, and the rise of Manny Pacquiao becoming the guy that all the fight fans know about to the guy that all the people who think they're fight fans <laughs> know about, and the guy who becomes mainstream. It's like the guys who think, who watch Floyd Mayweather after De La Hoya, or after he fought De La Hoya, or, you know, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that topic another day about fans jumping on bandwagons and such, but... Um, then from De La Hoya on up, we were kind of in that 140-147. Not really a fair comparison to Prince Nassim at that point. So looking at some, hearing some of the names that I, I listed here was 130 pounds. Prince Nassim and his notable work was all at 126. Because these weight divisions are, are laid out this way, um, I think it's fair to at least look at the level of opposition and the... Um, possibilities there. I mean, if we're we're looking about four pounds apart, uh, Prince Nassim's a little bit older than than Pacquiao, um, <clears throat> and we're not going to count anything from Pacquiao from De La Hoya on till till now because that's simply too big uh, for the Prince there. So, looking at comparing those records, I mean, you can the most direct comparison is Barrera and um, is the is Barrera in his comparison to get both guys. Uh, Barrera was at a different point in his life at the end of 2003 versus the beginning of 2001 when he beat the Prince. Uh, the Prince was at the end of his line and Pacquiao was still on the way up. So uh, you can look at that and, and kind of get a gauge of what that looks like in terms of how Pacquiao dealt with Barrera versus how the Prince tried to deal with Barrera. Um, Juan Manuel Marquez gave Pacquiao all kinds of trouble uh, in 2004. Eric Morales beat him in 2005 at 130 pounds. Um, and then going backwards even further. Now, if we wanted to go back further here with uh, with Pacquiao, um, he had some, some early 2000 stoppages. So if we look at 1999, uh, he lost a fight by TKO over in the Philippines uh, as well. And I'll go back a little further to 2000, or excuse me, 1996, where he lost, uh, he was knocked out in a fight. So... Pacquiao had some had some early setbacks early in his career, and then came up in weight, lost to Morales, lost to um, or had the draw with, with Marquez. So, if we're just looking at that early time period of Pacquiao versus what the the Prince, the reason I'm pointing this fight out this way is because I what I my. Our conversation internally was, and some of what Ring Magazine had, and some of what I read online from other folks on Twitter, just trying to get an idea of what folks think about this fight, because I have my opinion, which I'm going to share here in a minute. Looking at all of this, folks jumped to the immediate conclusion of, oh, Pacquiao would have smashed him. Are you kidding me? Look at Barrera. Look at this. Look at that. Look at the offensive firepower of Manny Pacquiao and everything, and and I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong. Remember, this is a hypothetical. This is, this is not, there's no way we're ever going to know this. There's no way we're ever going to know exactly how this would have worked. But, <laughs> but, if we were to look at it and go, okay, 
Manny Pacquiao at the lighter weights was an offensive force of nature. A tornado, a, a tsunami, whatever you know, weather metaphor we want to use. Manny Pacquiao would run over guys just through sheer force of will and punching speed and, and accuracy. On the contrary, Prince Nassim Hamed really was, was anybody, again, if you've watched the Prince, he is not a standard boxer. He is not somebody who would ever, there's no textbooks written on boxing that Prince Nassim ever, ever read. It's impossible. He was unorthodox. He would make you miss by moving his body in ways that, does, that should get you knocked on, on your butt. And a few times, multiple times, it got Nassim Hamed knocked on his butt. However, every time the man got up. And when he did get up, he would go on and win the fight, usually by knockout. So how did that happen? If you're making people miss a whole bunch and you're throwing punches from, from angles that, that the other guy's not expecting, not only is that going to lead to great counter opportunities, but Prince Nassim Hamed is considered a top five puncher at featherweight, at least. I'm, I'm sure folks, Salvador Sanchez or some other, you know, whatever. The power of Prince Nassim Hamed is one of the things that put the butts in the seats. I talked about the showmanship and the entrances and all the entertainment and the razzmatazz that, that went with the Prince. The man was scoring knockouts throughout his entire career. He ran into a stretch where people thought he was on the decline simply because he wasn't knocking people out. So, I mean, his final record here, let's go 36-1, 31 knockouts. That is a 83% knockout percentage over a <laughs> over an 83% knockout percentage at featherweight. Think about that. A featherweight knocked out 83% of the guys he 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 got in the ring with. 83% of the guys he beat. You want to throw the Barrera fight out there without that math, but 30 <laughs> 83% knockout percentage for Prince Nassim. The man had pop. The man could knock anybody out. And so the contrarian view to Pacquiao versus Hamed, and if you're saying, well, Manny Pacquiao would have just steamrolled Prince Nassim, Prince Nassim wouldn't be able to do anything with Manny Pacquiao. I'll argue the opposite side of that. And I'm going to say Manny Pacquiao would come in wild. He would come in throwing guns blazing. And I think he would probably have some success early. And, but I have no basis to say that the Prince's chin wouldn't hold up because the Prince's chin held up to some beatings. He went to anybody who watched Prince Nassim fight Kevin Kelly in New York. That that was the Prince's coming out party in the United States. Watch that fight. You want to talk about YouTube fights? Watch that fight. Um, there, <laughs> the Prince's power is for real. Was for real. So if the Prince, who was had a very unorthodox style but a very effective way of making people miss and he would throw punches loaded with power from unorthodox angles and from places where guys wouldn't see them I would make the argument that I think the prince would catch Pacquiao coming in because I mean again I didn't want to go above a certain weight class and looking at Pacquiao but Pacquiao was knocked out twice Early in his career, and I and I know everybody listened to his podcast, listened to many or watched at least saw video of the last Pacquiao Marquez fight about what would happen if you run in recklessly into a big punch and what happens to Pacquiao's chin. So there's three times Pacquiao's been stopped. Prince Nassim had was never stopped. One loss was to Barrera by decision. So 
Pacquiao, I have no reason to, if we're really going to break this down, and this is just for fun because that the article was great, the, the artwork was great, it got me fired up, got me watching old Prince Nassim stuff, got me watching some Manny Pacquiao stuff on YouTube. I'm a fan. There's a reason we're doing this because it's, I'm a fan. I'm hoping this is coming over as, I, as I'm speaking here. That this is just one guy's opinion about a neat piece of business that folks put out there on the, uh, that Ring Magazine put out there on the newsstands. I'd argue, let's say, I'm going to say the Prince catches Pacquiao in the, in the eighth and puts him to sleep, lights, knockout. Um, <laughs> just to have the contrarian point of view. I know some folks will disagree. Uh, some folks will think it's great. Um, in any event, I that would just that's a uh, it's fun to go down that road, you know. If any those of you who listen to my interview with Steve Forbes, we went we did a whole bunch of hypotheticals on who would beat who back in the day, or if you took two guys from two different generations, and it's fun. I'm hoping you can hear in my voice that I'm enjoying just kind of talking about this and hoping some of you guys will interact with me um, coming back through through social media. Just let me know how. What are your thoughts? I mean, what do y'all think? Do you think I'm crazy? Is is was Nassim Hamed really overrated, or do you think at that point in their career? So put it at 2003, like let's say, right right before the uh, Pacquiao fights Barrera, or um, right after, right in that neighborhood, right in that time period, uh, that would mean Nassim would have kept fighting after his uh, 2002. After 2002, he would have fought a couple more times. So. Um, I'm eager to hear from all of you after I've been, you know, talking and talking and talking about how I think that fight would go. Um, I'm eager to hear from all of you to see what you guys may think about it. So, um, off my soapbox, going through Ring Magazine, kudos to to the guys at Ring Magazine on a f- really fun article there, um, letting guys like me and some of us who have been longtime readers of that who who really enjoyed watching The Prince. In particular, because lately you could find a lot of things on Pacquiao after beating Thurman and um, and Adrian Broner. Pacquiao is is at the tail end of his run now, but he's still beating world class guys. So that is a huge compliment to Manny Pacquiao. There is no comparison in terms of greatness and career achievements. Obviously, that's a runaway. Manny Pacquiao is one of the most accomplished, greatest fighters in the history of the sport, but. In looking at featherweight at a certain period of time, <laughs> putting both guys in there, um, I think uh, the Prince would have had his day, or at least would have had a really good opportunity to have his day if his head was all right, too. And that's another, we can keep going down that road, but I think I've kind of exhausted this topic now. Um, if you want to see some vi- good vintage Prince Nassim, I know he hasn't been in the ring in almost 20 years, so I know some of you may have been like, who is this guy that this that Rick keeps talking about? So some of the fun, oh, some fun fights you would really like. Um, Jose Badillo from nineteen ninety seven. So just YouTube these. Jose Badillo versus the Prince. Kevin Kelly was the next fight. That's worth a watch. Um, Vuyani Bungu. I think Vuyani Bungu that, that March two thousand fight with uh, the Prince and Vuyani Bungu was maybe the last great performance of the Prince's career. That was probably this was a, a fourth round knockout win for the Prince, and it really was a complete fight. Vuyani Bungu, who was moving up in weight, similar to what um, what Pacquiao would have had to do. Um, moving up in weight, really good at the little lighter weight classes, and uh, the Prince kind of just took him apart and got him out of there. Um, Augie Sanchez was a good a good battle um, right after that. 
The next fight is Barrera and Calvo, which if you want to see the Prince get beat, you can watch Barrera and the Calvo fight was really a, a ugly fight. I wouldn't recommend watching that one unless you really want to go through a in-depth deal. Um, the magazine, I will give you one spoiler from the magazine. They kind of, they, if they were going to take a, a Prince Nassim to put in there, a best version of Prince Nassim, um, they would have said that was Tom Johnson in 1997. Um, I'll disagree and say maybe Badillo a little later or um, or the Bunku fight in 2000. So anyway, I will get off of that topic. And I know a lot of you downloaded this uh, because I have here on the title of the headline, a uh, Canelo versus Kovalev preview. And we're going to get to that now, but before we do, um, we will take just a minute for a time out and a word from our sponsor. And we are back. Thank you for staying with us. Um, boy, Canelo and Kovalev, who on earth thought we were going to be going to this? This is going to be an outstanding night on zone here coming up this weekend. Um, Canelo going up to... Two weight classes to fight Sergey Kovalev, who is um, has once again be- grabbed a belt at light heavyweight. So uh, just go. We'll kind of do a real quick tale of the tape, just some some records and age and everything else. So um, we'll start with uh, Kovalev, who's thirty four and three, twenty nine knockouts, um, and thirty six years old. With uh, Canelo at fifty two, one and two, with thirty five knockouts and twenty nine years old. So the last couple of fights, I'm gonna st- I'm, we'll start with Kovalev. The last couple of fights for Kovalev, he was seen. I mean, going back here a little ways. And it's nice because this is a, these are two guys that I've covered uh, in person over there in Vegas. And going into the end of 2016, when Kovalev was undefeated, going into the first fight with Andre Ward, that was a that was a really a great boxing fan fight because up until that point, I mean, Andre Ward is one of those guys that the fight fans know, and I know he's on ESPN now, and he's doing a lot of TV and commentary now. He did HBO commentary, but he's one of those guys that's a little under the radar versus what the, all the, I say, what the general sports public <laughs> would see. Um, and Kovalev was maybe a level under Ward in terms of star power. But for fight fans who will get excited when when the best fight the best, regardless of star power and everything else, this was a dramatically great, this was an amazing fight to come together. And I was honored and thrilled um, to be in Vegas and cover this fight. Um, going into that fight, Kovalev was seen as this destroyer, the crusher. He was, he was you know, Ivan Drago in the light heavyweight division just playing off stereotypes. Um, and how is Andre Ward gonna take you know take his shots and keep going? And during the first fight, Kovalev knocks Ward down and really controls the first part of the fight. Ward comes on late and and ekes out the decision uh, by a round. He had, there was a, the, all three judges and myself had it seven to five for Ward uh, with the knockdown uh, made it a really uh, with the Ward knockdown made it uh, really a one point fight. Um, from there, we go into the re- the rematch with Ward, and uh, Ward scores the stoppage win, and that there was a little controversy there with some low blows. Um, folks will have their opinion on what really happened there. I know the Kovalev camp is thinking one way. The Ward camp would certainly argue the point, and 
Um, general public consensus seems to be that whatever Ward wins. I, I didn't hear a ton of uproar in the immediate aftermath of that. Beyond a few a few complaints, a lot of complaints from the Kovalev camp, but it is what it is. The, they weren't going to have that result overturned. Um, after that second ward fight, there were a couple of comeback fights for Kovalev in uh, late 2017, early 2018. Um, and then in, uh, let's see, it was August of 2018, um, Kovalev is stopped, is knocked out by a leader, Alvarez, uh, to lose the WBO and IBA light heavyweight titles um, in what in a fight that he was winning uh, until the point where he got tagged and kind of crumbled from there. Uh, we, then we go into early 2019 in February. We uh, Kovalev gets his revenge and wins the titles back by decision. And then in August of this year, he defeated Anthony Yardy um, in Russia by a stoppage to get us to... Uh, next weekend and his uh, date with Canelo Alvarez. Um, I, going back, We won't go back too much further from the Ward fights because I, I think that was kind of the beginning of the second part of Kovalev's career. I mean, we could go back a little bit beyond Ward into the 2014 uh, when he fought Bernard Hopkins and won a clear-cut decision. I think folks really took notice at that point, although Bernard was... It's it's not fair to ever say Bernard Hopkins was past his prime, I don't think. <laughs> but uh, on the tail end of his career, let's say that way, the guy with the uh, uh, fountain of youth in his backyard or something. Uh, but on the tail end of 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 a of a remarkable career there. But uh, Hopkins, I don't believe, won a round in that fight. So it was a a, a boxing lesson for um, Kovalev, a trial by fire a bit for both guys, a, a really good fight. And then in his next fight, uh, Kovalev knocks out Jean Pascal and then uh, defeats Jean Pascal again in a rematch. Um, defeats Isaac Chalemba, then we go into the ward and everything I just described. So a very solid, solid light heavyweight. I think if you were t- if we were doing this fight pre Andre Ward, I would sit back and say, Kovalev's an A fighter. Look at this record. Look at everything he's done. Look at the knockout percentage. I was talking about and going on about knockout percentages. 34-3-1 and, th- and with 29 knockouts. 76% knockout percentage. The man can bang. The man has heavy hands, has power, has, a te- has, been, at, has been a pro for 10 years. I'm not going to put him as an A-level fighter at this point, having been stopped in the last few of his fights. He's won some, he's lost a few. I don't think he's at the A-level point of his career at 36 years old anymore. But the last thing to go, the old saying goes, the last thing to go on a on a fighter like this is his power. Um, looking at Canelo, and again, if you are listening to this podcast, 52-1, and one, two draws, 35 knockouts. Uh, that's a 63% knockout percentage just because it's right here in front of me on BoxRec. But um, his resume, really, we can we'll go back to 2013 because well, actually, we'll go. But let's go back a little further. So Canelo's 29 now. So if we were going to look at what he's done here in the last decade, um, scoring a stoppage win in 2011 over Kermit Cintron, who was a very solid welterweight level fighter. Uh, then a decision victory uh, over Shane Mosley, who was faded at that point, but still dangerous against veterans. Uh, and then a couple more fights before the uh, 
the fight against Floyd Mayweather, where, you know, Canelo at 22 years old against Floyd Mayweather, you look back at it now and go, boy, Canelo, would, this would be a different fight if they were to fight, you know, in the last year or two, it would have been, a, it, I think it'd be a different outcome. I think a lot of folks think that way, but 2013 in September, uh, Mayweather wins a majority decision, which the person who didn't have, <laughs> that was a cruddy decision simply because Mayweather deserved a unanimous decision in that fight. Mayweather literally took the 22-year-old to school in that fight. There there were some times in that where it looked like it was a mismatch. Just did speed, experience levels, defense. He just made Canelo look bad, period. Would that be the case if they would have fought in the last couple of years? That's up for debate. After going through the, the fight with Mayweather, um, the next one notable I see is James Kirkland. Alfredo Angulo was immediately after Mayweather. Arsalan Lara. It was a split decision win uh, in 2014 for Canelo. Then we go to Kirkland, which was a highlight reel knockout. If you haven't seen that knockout, Google or put that one into the YouTube machine there. James Kirkland and Canelo, that was a crushing knockout, a, an unbelievable knockout. Then uh, Canelo gets a shot at, the, at uh, the lineal middleweight championship against Miguel Cotto and wins unanimous decision. Next, it's a fight against Amir Khan, which... If you haven't seen that knockout, that's worth it too because he put Amir Khan to bed. Uh, Khan was out before he hit the ground. Um, that was in May of 2016, a knockout victory there. Um, a knockout over Liam Smith. Then uh, Canelo fights Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in a fight that was billed properly, billed correctly, and it was a great lead up and it was great until the bell rang. And then, unfortunately, only one of the guys really seems like only one of them came to play. Um, I think Chavez tried, but wasn't really in the fight. And it was a lopsided decision victory for Alvarez. Um, and then we get into the more recent stuff in 2017. Um, the first fight with, with Gennady Golovkin. And that was, again, that was a fight I covered in person. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here for a second and kind of get into that. I, I, in scoring the fight and watching the fight, you know, I was in the minority in terms of who I thought won the fight and how I thought the fight went. Um, and looking at, I mean, the, the, the judge 118-110, that we're not going to even, you know, I'll, I'll mention here and just say that was ludicrous, ridiculous. I mean, De Lo, Oscar De La Hoya, promoter for Canelo said, I don't know what that lady was watching. So we won't go there. However... Um, in watching the fight, I initially, as I was sitting there in the arena, had it for Canelo by a round. I, I believe I had it 7-5. I had it 7-5. So 115-113 uh, for Canelo. Um, in reviewing that, if I'm at the fights and the, I know the fights are going to be on TV or if I've recorded them, I'll go back and watch them a second time and say, is there any round that, you know, I look at my scorecard from being there that I look at. And then I watch it again on TV, and I go, is there any round where I go, wow, I missed? Not, oh, that was close. Uh, could have gone the other way. You know, you make a decision if you're scoring a fight. Um, you make a decision, and you go. You know, it, but I, I come back and watch it, and just to, to see, is there one where I go, yeah, I really messed that one up. And sitting here recording this, I don't recall what round this happened in with this fight. Uh, um, but if you were to look at the highlight reel of the fight, there's a there's a punch that Golovkin lands on the like behind the ear of Canelo. They did it in all the build up for the rematch. There was one punch where he threw a big triple G through the big right hand, and it just looked fantastic on TV. It was a huge shot, and I'll, I'll boy, I'm gonna say it was round seven, but I might be wrong. Um, 
that I simply didn't see. You know, I'm typing on the computer. I'm in, you know, we're watching the thing in the arena and everything. And, and I missed that punch, that punch. If I had seen that punch live, I think that would have been enough of a significantly landed shot that I would have changed my vote on the round. So with that, I would, that would take me from 7-5 Canelo to 6-6. Six, six. But the rest, and there were other rounds in there where I kind of go, oh, you know, you could have given it to Golovkin, you could have given it to Canelo. Um, it was that type of a fight. I know a lot of folks, a lot of media guys had it 7-5 Triple G. And, and, um, and some had it even, some had it bigger for Triple G. So we're right in the neighborhood. Um, and really, I was giving Canelo credit for making Triple G miss and making him chase him and having what I interpreted as effective defense. Um, I think folks who gave it like 9-3 Golovkin or 8-4 Golovkin were saying Canelo was running. Um, and there's a fine line there. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with some with favoritism of as fans, and we all have it to one degree or another, even though I'm you know, reporters and judges and the guys you see on TV on ESPN who, who uh, the boxing experts, they all have their little bit of biases one way or another. Um, and and that's a, there's a fine line there between running and effective defense. So I was giving Canelo credit for what I interpreted as his way to, his only way he could win the fight, which was making Triple G miss and countering. When I th- when he was doing effective punches there and, and Triple G wasn't following up with um, effective punches of his own, I was giving Canelo credit for that. When Triple G was more aggressive and more effective with his punches and Canelo wasn't throwing punches back or wasn't throwing enough, landing enough effective punches, I would give that advantage to Triple G. So just a little insight on what I was thinking for that particular fight. Um, so I thought... A draw was more than fair, although when you go down to Las Vegas for a fight like that, you don't want a draw. <laughs> the last thing you want. You think it feels bad to have a, watch a, a pay-per-view all night long and get to the last thing and it's a draw? You think that feels bad? Vegas. Go to Vegas and have that happen and see how that goes. <laughs> it's not a fun experience. So, uh, But then you sit back and go, what a great fight. Anyway, what a great fight. In any event, just because I had a little more experience with that particular fight, I wanted to talk about that for just a second there and kind of talk about the effectiveness of Canelo. We go into now the rematch against Golovkin, and I scored that fight 7-5 Triple G because I thought Triple G rallied down the stretch, although Canelo completely changed his game plan on that fight. And I'm going to... We're not, I'm not going to spend much time there, but I'm going to say that that showed me something for what we're going into with Kovalev. So two more fights then. Rocky Felding uh, was a mismatch, even though Felding was at 160, uh, 168, super middleweight title. It was a way to get Canelo an alphabet soup title without much risk you know, coming back. Um, and that's, that's for the future legacy f- for Alvarez. That's so he can be a... You know, have a many division world champion and all that other stuff, and that's fine. That's all part of the deal. That's how that's how a lot of these guys in the '90s and early 2000s padded the record a little because you have you know at least four sanctioning bodies: IBF, WBC, WBA, WBO in every division. Then now you have some of these guys like the WBA and WBC going with super champions and all this and silver belts and all this other junk. Bottom line is, if you want to say you're a t- you're a champion that many times, you, you you're gonna find a way to make it work. So Rocky Fielding at, at super middleweight, Canelo gets one of the belts. Okay, no problem. It, it was it was good to see him go up from one sixty one sixty eight 
and, and see how he could be at the larger weight class, and he stopped the bigger guy. So, I mean, it showed some effective power from, from Canelo, but to say it was for the World Championship 168, I don't think that's exactly fair or accurate. Um, and then in his most recent fight uh, for Canelo in, uh, in May of this year, he fought Danny Jacobs, which was maybe, outside of the third fight with, with Triple G, was maybe the best fight he could possibly make. Um, in the division and won a clear, albeit close, unanimous decision over a guy who gave Triple G all he could handle. Um, so it was a good win for Canelo. Again, close, but I thought Canelo certainly won the fight. Um, and now we go into uh, this Saturday against Kovalev. So recent history would lead you to believe that Canelo Alvarez is going to win this fight. He's been more impressive and has been taking on higher-level opposition Um in recent in recent years, I mean, just in the last couple of years, and in recent success, Canelo has taken on better opposition and has better results. He's won the big fights. Kovalev has not. Kovalev has not won the big fights. When it came down to it, he hasn't won the big fights since since when he beat Hopkins and he beat Pascal. Everybody else you, you, aren't household names in their own household. You know, you you lose to Andre Ward twice, and whatever your opinion was on the first fight, he lost both fights. That's that. If you're looking at resumes, you're looking at recent history. You lean Canelo. You're looking at age. You lean Canelo. You're looking. <laughs> so I mean, there's there's a lot of factors there that make you believe that that Canelo should be the favorite in the fight, and Canelo is the favorite in this fight. And as I'm talking here, I will find us some some specific odds here. Uh, breaking down the the tail of the tape, however, you have a five five foot eight for Canelo, six feet tall for Kovalev. A 70 and a half inch reach for Canelo, 72 inch reach for Kovalev, and um, I know that's not measuring from the armpit to the end of the fist, um, like they do on TV. Um, so you'll we'll see that as we get a little closer, what those numbers look like. But that sounds like we're going to be in a pretty, pretty even reach um, area there for for the fight. Just trying to get into that basic breakdown of how that looks. It the the interesting thing here will be how does Canelo look. Um, putting on that much weight, so he he went from 160 in the second fight with Canel or second fight with Golovkin to 168 against Felding, and then back down to 160 against Danny Jacobs, and now we're gonna go all the way up to 175 pounds, and that's going to be that's a that's a 15 pound weight jump with guys that are chiseled pretty well to the point that if you're at 160 you've really struggled to get to one you've cut weight to get there there's a re you've cut weight to get to that point now canelo gets to put on 15 pounds what does that do to his speed so since floyd mayweather canelo has come off as somebody who really has been relying on almost fighting in the Mayweather style. He, he's been very much the boxer. He's been making guys miss when he fought Triple G both times. He, um, he, had, he was the boxer. He was making Triple G miss. I mean, that was the, the whole point here. And he's done that a lot recently. He did that a lot with Danny Jacobs. He was making Jacobs miss quite a bit. So Canelo has really adopted a boxer style where Kovalev is the puncher. He's the crusher. He's going to come out there and he's going to try to knock Canelo's head off because his way to win the fight, and it's per, it's perception and I think it's pretty accurate, Kovalev's going to need to knock Canelo out. And Canelo hasn't really shown, he's been staggered a few times early in his career, 
Uh, but he went 24 rounds with Golovkin and really wasn't in any type of trouble. Went up to 168, never really got touched. Uh, fought Danny Jacobs, never really was in any trouble there. Um, I don't think I think the beard on Canelo is a question at 175 against the, maybe one of the bigger punchers in the division. But I wouldn't just out and out say it's a detriment at this point because if Canelo could take um, if Canelo could take Sergey's best shots, Canelo's going to win the fight. There, there's I mean that's seems basic, but if neither guy's going to get knocked out, I don't see how Kovalev wins a decision. He's going to be slower. He's thirty six. He's going to get tired. And if anybody who's watched Sergey's last few fights, going back to the Ward fights, he's run out of gas. And when he's gotten into trouble, he's run out of gas. Late in the fights, he's gotten into awfully. Difficult water with stamina. So I think this is great matchmaking on the part of Golden Boy to put this fight together right now while Sergey's got a belt. And they know that if their guy doesn't get touched up in the first four, if, if their guy can withstand the power early, odds are we're going to get into the 8, 9, 10, 11 range and, and uh, one guy's going to run out of gas. Flip that around, though, now that I'm sitting here, flip that around a little bit. Canelo sort of has the same problem. Canelo, you know, has let guys back into fights that way. The second Golovkin fight, he seemed to do that. The first Golovkin fight, he seemed to do that. And with Danny Jacobs, he seemed to do that. Danny Danny Jacobs was getting, you know, handed, his butt handed to him early. And then Jacobs came back and made that a very competitive fight late. So, you like... Uh, Boy, now that I'm sitting here thinking about that, that's a, almost a push. But I'm going to say advantage Canelo because he's 29 and he's younger and he's coming up in weight. But I do think it's going to be really interesting down the stretch what that does. I think the early part of the fight will certainly dictate how that goes. Um, if Canelo gets into dire straits early, let's say he can't take Kovalev's punches, that I think Kovalev's going to have a very good chance to score a late stoppage if he's effective. Um, if Kovalev is frustrated early and can't get to Canelo, I think Kovalev will run out of gas and Canelo's going to be able to coast and get kind of do the Danny Jacobs thing and, and win a decision. I don't foresee Canelo knocking out Kovalev, um, although Kovalev was knocked out pretty brutally the last time he lost. So um, if his chin's questionable at this point, I think it would be, uh, it's not outside of the realm of possibility, but I'm going to give you a prediction in just a second. Looking just first thing I pulled up here, oddshark.com. Um, we're looking at just some odds opportunities here. Canelo has opened opened up at a uh, minus 450 favorite with Kovalev coming back as a plus 325 favorite, uh, underdog. Those are pretty heavy odds there. Um, I'm going to see if I can get us a Vegas, a Vegas line really, uh, line really quick here. Um, if we're kind of sitting here in this, uh, okay, so Alvarez minus 387, Kovalev plus 300. So if you're in Las Vegas, consult your local sports book before betting. <laughs> make sure you're betting, make sure you're betting num- uh, numbers you're safe to bet. Uh, certainly not advocating uh, gambling on here, wink, wink. <laughs> but um, if you're in Vegas, check your sports books. The different, different Vegas books will have different lines. But I'm looking, what I'm looking at online is, you're going to have to bet almost $400 to win $100 on Canelo. You can bet $100, and if you win, you're going to win $300 coming back if you bet on Kovalev. If I were down there, if I were a betting man, again, not advocating for betting, <laughs> um, if, <laughs> if I were a betting man, I would certainly lean towards Alvarez winning the fight. I have no reason to think that the Vegas guys are out of their mind on this one. Um 
Kova the plus 300 is interesting. I think if you are looking to look for, you're trying to find a way to, a potential to make some pretty good money, um, I, you'll want to look at proposition bets, prop bets, and see what the odds are for a, a Kovalev knockout and, and picking around that way. I think Kovalev would have some, uh, in the first six rounds, I think it, that's Kovalev's best chance to knock out Canelo. And that would just be a, a case of Canelo moved up too high in weight and couldn't get couldn't pull it off. Couldn't couldn't win the fight. Um, I would think. Uh, I mean, Kovalev starches him in two, and just Alvarez can't take his punch. Then, you know, not only will you get plus three hundred is just on Kovalev winning the fight. If you were to make a bet on Kovalev um, to win by knockout in the first six rounds, um, I think you would have. You would certainly have better odds. You get like maybe a plus five hundred, a plus six hundred. Again, each sports book in Vegas is going to be different. Um, but I, I think if you're looking to take a actual gamble and realize that this is a pretty far fetched gamble, um, that's where I would look is putting a bet on Kovalev by knockout um, sometime in the first six rounds. My actual prediction is that uh, Alvarez wins a decision eight four, so one sixteen one twelve. I think Alvarez will. Do really well early. We'll get into seven, eight, nine, and and Kovalev will have his moments, but he won't have enough to get Alvarez in any type of trouble. Um, Alvarez will be able to weather the, any potential storms there, and I would take Canelo Alvarez with a unanimous decision victory over Sergey Kovalev. So that it will just about wrap it up for me. Um, if you stuck with me for this podcast, I greatly appreciate it. I'm going to do the best I can to come back with. A, another podcast here in the not-too-distant future, a recap of all the action in Las Vegas uh, for Canelo and Kovalev. Uh, we'll take a look at the rematch between Andy Ruiz and Anthony Joshua, um, which will be coming up in the next few weeks out of Saudi Arabia. Who had Saudi Arabia in their betting pool as to where that fight would land? Who I don't know who would have called that, but um, good, exciting um, couple of fights here, kind of closing out the 2019 boxing calendar. Um, and, you know, on social media, at 12 Round News on Twitter is where we are most active at the moment. Um, we'll get the website up and running fully here in the not-too-distant future. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Just look for 12 Round News. Um, those are the two major social media platforms we're on right now. We'll be going to Instagram. Once we get to a few more fights here, I don't think um, we'll be doing any more fights live uh, for 2019, but I will certainly be on the lookout for some 2020 opportunities to get us some pictures and good content for an Instagram account with the uh, with the site. But I, a lot of what we'll do going into the future is something like this where we'll have an opportunity to present and my thoughts and ideas on the world of boxing as we go along here um, and bringing you guests again I've, I've mentioned Steve Forbes a few different times tonight just as he was the most recent interview that we had and um, did a wonderful job for us um, and also and, and I'll, I'll do a quick shout out he has a brand new podcast uh, that he has started so you can look for for that and Steve's on social media as well and um, having an opportunity to hear from the former world champ and some of the of his activities, but he did such a great job for uh the for us uh just with the interview and helping promote his fight that um certainly want to return the favor any way I can to to help with 
his endeavors and uh, we'll keep in tabs and in touch with him as as he moves forward. And so I'm based out of Washington State and uh, Steve is over in Oregon. So it's not terribly out of the question if Steve were to fight again over in Oregon that I could go over and cover a fight there and, and um, for some local flavor and see other activities here in, in Washington State rather easily. Um, I know they do some wonderful shows over in Tacoma here in Washington. Uh, local boxing is uh, is alive and well here in the Pacific Northwest. And then when the Vegas fight, world championship level fights uh, get made and those opportunities become available, I will certainly be able to get on here and uh, and bring some more to you as I've done it before and really enjoyed it and really would love to be, love nothing more than to be able to bring more to you as we go. So um, with that, I will sign off. Uh, social media, reach out. I hope you like this podcast. If you do, please subscribe. Uh, just give me an opportunity to see that I have some folks that are that are willing to interact. And um, if you want to throw back your thoughts on, on Canelo versus um, Kovalev and what you think about that fight, your predictions, if I'm way off or you think I'm pretty close to being spot on, which I think I'm pretty close to being spot on, but I'm sure some of you guys will have different opinions and that's perfectly fine. And and um, I'd love to hear some predictions on Pacquiao Hamed. I know we'll never get a definitive answer on that, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. And again, shout out Ring Magazine for a great feature piece and letting uh, the, uh, the, the old Wiley Prince there have some time in the sun again. So that was neat to see as a longtime fan of, of uh, Prince. Um, and then if there's other fights you want to hear about and uh, talk about and go through with a, uh, a debate-style format and see some other, uh, you know, who would have won, uh, Evander Holyfield or Joe Lewis, that's one I really like because I think both guys were built the same way and would have had a pretty good style matchup there for both guys. Or uh, my uh, lots of different stuff. We could go on and on and on. Uh, Mayweather versus Tommy Hearns is the one I think that will get a mo- the most people talking about opinions. But anyway... I digress. I will get off of here and just say thank you, thank you, thank you for sticking with me and having uh, allowed me the opportunity to to share my passion and love for this sport, this wonderful sport that we all love so much, and uh, bring you my uh, my opinions and some news and and different things as we uh, go on out of twenty nineteen and get closer to getting into twenty twenty in a brand new year. So, with that, I will sign off. My name is Rick Evans, and you have been listening to the latest edition of the Twelve Round News podcast.